I'm going to retcon that. I'm not broken. But like, definitely everyone around me was like, you know, you are. Ryan Vance, this is your mixtape. Why don't we call it Boys on a Screen or a Page? Hello, listener, and welcome to This Is Your Mixtape, a podcast where, every episode, we take a close look at someone's life as told through five songs. I'm your host, Michael Collins, an ugly giant bag of mostly water. Today, we're chatting with Ryan Vance. Ryan Vance is a writer, editor, and general literary busybody with a penchant for speculative fiction and queer representation. Originally from rural-ish Northern Ireland, he now lives in Glasgow, Scotland. His work has been published by Friction, Motherboard, and Dark Mountain. He reviews for Gutter Magazine, and he recently co-edited an anthology of queer Scottish writing called We Were Always Here, published by 404 Inc. Ryan and I talk about utopian parents, bullying, queer fantasies, unattainable men, and how being disillusioned sets you free. I couldn't help but see aspects of my own life in the stories Ryan told, and I hope you'll enjoy as much as I did his generosity in their telling. Hi, Ryan. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm so pleased to speak with you. So you are uh, living in Glasgow, and you've recently put together an anthology of queer writing. Am I correct? Yeah, um, it is called We Were Always Here, a queer words anthology, and it's uh, been published by 404 Inc. Um, And it's basically just a collection of short stories and poems and uh one drama piece um from writers living in scotland uh, they don't have to be like true blood scottish if you're in scotland you're in it's a freedom mm-hmm. of mind um and it's all about um well it's sort of all about queerness but it's also not about queerness it's about what we get to write when we don't have to explain ourselves um and and kind of seeing what comes next once you kind of accept that you know we're here, we're queer, we're used to it. Um, like, <laughs> so it's not a dozen coming out stories. No, in fact, I don't think there's any coming out stories. Um, and there's not that many like uh, tragedy kind of, here's the, here's the struggle that I've been through. It's more like, here's what I can write and talk about when I don't have to worry about that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a really mixed collection in terms of... Uh, topics and and kind of genres even um there's mm-hmm. a lot of genre work in there which is great because a lot of genre work um i mean i'm, I'm a huge nerd i like fantasy and sci-fi it's really hard to find stuff like that that um doesn't take a kind of like oh the queer people are the aliens kind of approach you know it's it, there are no metaphors we, we just exist in those worlds um so it's it's a really great collection i'm really really chuffed with everyone that's part of it that sounds so exciting uh, i will obviously i'll have a link to that in the show notes for listeners to you know click through if they want to see more and so forth and you are yourself a queer person living in scotland i am yep won't <laughs> give me away <laughs> <laughs> you know it was a bit of detective work on my part but <laughs> So uh, we're here to talk about your life as told through five songs. And so we're going to be going right back to the beginning. Well, perhaps not right to the beginning, but early enough. (laughs) And uh, you grew up in Northern Ireland, am I correct? I did, yeah. Um, In a small town called Whitehead. 
uh, like the facial blemish. <laughs> it was it was pretty idyllic, um, considering I grew up at the the tail end of the eighties and all through the nineties when you know the the troubles were winding down and the Good Friday Agreement was being put together. And it can all things considered, it was a really nice childhood. Basically, the the short version is my dad was uh, raised Protestant, my mom was raised Catholic, um, and they decided that uh, there was no way in hell that their kids were going to, you know, fall down on either side of of the... um, The sectarian divide? (laughs) Yeah, the sectarian divide, the conflicts. Uh, So they tried to, you know, insulate us from the realities of Northern Ireland as much as possible, which kind of backfired when we, like, got a little bit older and, you know, started... uh, meeting people that didn't take I don't know for an answer to the question of like where are your allegiances um but you know to grow up it was pretty idyllic why don't we tie this in now to your first song because I'm very curious about how this fits in with the talking heads which I've given it a bit away but why don't you tell our listeners what we have first uh it's talking heads once in a lifetime with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself So this is the first time we've had a Talking Heads song. Oh, you're kidding. Really? (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. You've given us a bit of an idea of you growing up in a fairly idyllic... It sounds like your parents had a bit of a utopian project, (laughs) trying to sort of raise you post-politics, I guess. Uh, They did, and it was incredibly optimistic. And even, uh, like, they uh, sent uh, me and my brother to the first... Well, not the first, one of the first uh, integrated schools in... Northern Ireland. And like I say integrated, I don't mean anything more glamorous than, you know, mixed religions, um, which, you know, that's not integrated. <laughs> There's plenty more things that you could integrate, but it was a big step. Um, Contextually, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, then when we went on to like, you know, secondary school, um, they really tried to like make sure that we went to schools that, you know, had a certain degree of understanding, you know, kind of like, you know, not choosing one or the other. Yeah, so it was they they did have a bit of a utopian idyllic idea for, you know, how they wanted their lives to pan out. Um and once in a lifetime was um my dad's realization that he that they had come pretty close. It was apparently the first song I ever danced to um <laughs> as a small child. It's on the list of of my songs because I don't remember this. I I don't remember getting up and dancing to Once in a Lifetime, but uh, this is a story that my dad has told me. Um, he was sitting, it was a weekend, he was sitting watching TV in a house that just bought, he had just got a new job, and I think my mum was in the kitchen cooking dinner, and uh, he was listening to the talking heads, and David Burns there shouting like, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. How did I get here? Um, and it kind of, and then I got up and started dancing um, to this, and it sort of struck him like you know he could never have anticipated having this. He he thought that it was a pipe dream, and then he had it, and everything was sort of falling into place, which I find really interesting because now listening to it as an adult, I'm kind of like, Dad, that's not what the, that song's about. <laughs> at all that song is about like falling into a rut and then like 30 years down the line going like oh my god i've wasted my life 
mm-hmm. how did I get here? This is not my wife. This is not my house. But at the time, he he heard it and was like, this shouldn't be my house. This shouldn't be my beautiful wife. This shouldn't be my life. I mm-hmm. There's no way I should have been able to luck into this. But I have. This is not what was. This is not what the world intended for me, and yet here I am. Yeah. Yes, and so like it's, it's there because I think it like definitely hints at a lot of what we're going to talk about as we go through the rest of the uh, the songs, which is kind of like uh, dance and kind of denial and kind of thinking life is going to turn out one way and then finding it's gone completely another, and kind of like the the shakiness that kind of comes from that internally um so it's really interesting that you know my dad's first memory of my first engagement with music kind of has these ripples that just radiate out through life i guess but i mean it's easy to say that looking back at it retrospectively sure Um, but i'm a writer i I like narrative so (laughs) i'm gonna run with it i'm thinking about your parents now and i'm thinking about the kind of people who had this kind of progressive idea about how they might raise their children most of my music tastes i think probably have their origins in my dad's music tastes uh he is a giant muso at that time he had just got a new job but he was also working for a local radio station picking out uh songs for their their new rock program that they had on he wasn't allowed to actually host it but they had finally clicked that you know hair metal was a thing at the tail end of the 80s and wanted a show to kind of like you know pull in the fans and my dad was the only one that had any knowledge of that um so he worked for this radio station picking the tunes but never actually got to like have his own show which was an odd setup he has these stories of like being invited to dinners with zz top and getting trapped inside a theater after hours with iggy pop like you know (laughs) proper rock and roll stories um but his own tests were actually more like van morrison and Oh, I can't believe I've forgotten the most famous musician in the world, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. <laughs> How do you forget Bob Dylan? Um, I mean, I forget Bob Dylan very easily because I am not a fan. Um, no, I can appreciate his songwriting, but I really can't listen to him. <laughs> I, I, I can't either. I don't. And like every time I told people this, people were like, "Oh, you'll come round to him someday." And I'm like, "No, the only Bob Dylan songs I like are covers." And it's the same with the Beatles. The only Beatles songs I like are covers, and I don't know why. I can't explain it. But, well, you know, you like what you like. The talking heads are kind of weird on music. <laughs> Were you a weird kid? Or? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. That was a bit of a softball question. I was anticipating that kind of an answer. <laughs> Why don't you say a bit more? I want to know what you're like when you're a little kid. I, I was um, effervescent, but mm. like... Undeniably, like irritatingly effervescent, I would <laughs> run up to strangers uh, in in shopping malls and just start telling them about my day. Um, I I wanted to be an actor. Uh, there's another David Byrne song called "Make Believe Mambo," which I don't I, I don't think I would have heard. It's it's off the album uh, Ray Momo. I don't know how you pronounce it properly, but um, it's the one that's like full of like samba stuff. Uh, the song there is basically about this kid that pretends to be anything he sees on TV, but he doesn't actually have a personality of his own, and and how charming that can be when this boy is just from minute to minute a completely different person. That was sort of me. I was like 
so into just like imaginary games and like imaginary friends and storytelling and just like anyone who would listen mm. i would talk their ear off with complete bollocks and I, it didn't stop it like i was i was and also super moody as well because mm. um, if i didn't get my way i would kick up a fuss there's weird kids and then there's weird kids and i don't think i was like the weird kid i definitely just had my own obsessions but I definitely think the weirdness started coming out later. But I mean, that's that's not surprising, considering uh, all the other stuff that I was kind of dealing with later on in life. Like, we'll get there. Um, but it definitely leaked out in odd ways. The way you described yourself, it's like, well, of course you would become a writer. <laughs> As part of the idyllic kind of setup of our childhood my parents had uh, got this small house at the end of a small lane in a small town that was right next to like this big field with a beach and a, a disused quarry kind of like stone throwaway all the other kids on our street were kind of like of the same age and i would whip everyone up into a gang that would go on like adventures together and i'd be the one that would say like right today this is where we're going this is this is the uh the bad guy that we're fighting and then we'd all just like run around like yeah. screaming out oh i'm i'm punching this guy or oh i'm rescuing this person and very creatively called them adventures and yeah so like um that was part of the the ideal scenario uh, the idyllic scenario as well is like my parents could just like stand at the window look out at this field in front of their house and just see their kids running around like wild things and again, like, you know, you may ask yourself, how did I get here? How did I luck out so much? And there's also, I guess, like, in that kind of willful misreading of of that song, the, the line that keeps coming back and back and back, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, letting the days go by. There's that kind of, like, expectation that it's always going to be like that. That you know, once you once you, you know make the nest for the bluebird of happiness, it comes down and and you know makes a nest and done. It's never going to fly away. <laughs> but you know that's a myth. Mm -hmm. I can feel us pivoting to our next song. <laughs> Same as it ever was is is kind of like in the song. It's like these. The days have been same as they ever were, and they've flown by you, and you've lost grip of of what first excited you about them but my dad mm -hmm. heard them and misinterpreted them as like here we go like this is it we've done it nothing's gonna go wrong right and uh life isn't like that of course it's not well why don't we move to your next song then what do we have uh we have fiona apple fast as you can I appreciate Fiona Apple because this seems like a strange thing to appreciate, but she doesn't put out a lot of music, but it means that everything she puts out is really top shelf. Like she doesn't have very much that I would consider to be lesser work, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. The only thing that comes close is that protest song she put out a few years ago. Um, and I do I, it definitely, whatever. I'm willing to forgive that. It was a heat of the, <laughs> spur of the moment thing everyone was feeling all kinds of ways um yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't her greatest work but um aside from that everything mm -hmm. is golden yes. um absolutely everything so this is from 
when the pawn and then about 83 other words yeah i do love the audacity so that's 1999 so how old are you were, were you a, a fan already when this came out oh, or no um okay well tell me the story okay so in in my sleepy town there was a youth center um called genesis and it was like pretty religious um as you might guess from the name mm-hmm. and it was the only one in town uh, so everyone went there and they had like a pool table and uh, I think it was a Sega Mega Drive. Um, and they had a TV that was like permanently set to like MTV2. The, you know, in the golden age of uh, music videos when MTV actually showed music videos. And uh, Fiona Apple's Fat As You Can came on. Mm-hmm. And in this setting where like everyone was, you know, doing that teenager thing where, you, you know, you go to the only place you have, even though you know that they're like stuck up religious folks that call their center genesis it was it, it was like beaming in this dangerous mad woman into this environment i was transfixed i i, I guess like uh i mean the song is great but my first reaction to it was the video because it i must have been like 13 at this point and already going through stuff at school um bullying and and uh, being very, very deep in the closet. I think what resonated with me was you had a woman just being really aggressive and dangerous. And I know, looking back at it now, now that I you know know what I'm talking about. Like she wasn't giving into the male gaze. She she's standing there, like not playing up to the camera or you know doing the pop star thing. And she's you know putting out a lit match on her tongue and. Obviously, like, this is part of a long canon of, like, rebellious women in music. But it was the first one I'd seen. It was my first time maybe seeing something that aggressively feminist. And in that environment as well, it was, it was strange because it felt illicit. And it, it was just on TV. And then the song kicked in. And I was like, oh, this is... It. I mean, it rattled something in me. And I didn't... Yeah. I couldn't tell at the time. But obviously, looking back, you know, there's... So a bit of history probably like just when I started secondary school, I sort of outed myself in a really stupid way. Um, Mm -hmm. Just some sort of like self-preservation part of me just like switched off and I kissed a guy. Oh. And this would have been like 2000, not even 1997 in Northern Ireland, uh, which was, you know, not the most progressive of places at the best of times. But that sort of kickstarted an entire seven years of high school where i was just bullied just like ugh, across the board and so like 13 it'd be two years into this like already like i am well versed in like hiding and denying and and just like mm-hmm. and i mean when i say bullying i mean like i would walk down corridors in in my school and guys would fling themselves to the side shouting bums to the wall or like you know on sports day that the day that uh I kissed that guy, which and also like you know, I didn't get his permission. Sorry. <laughs> so like, you know, how old were you? Like, I would have been eleven. Yeah, like you're forgiven. Yeah, consent <laughs> doesn't consent is 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 a bit weird in that area. Um, Children uh, don't understand. This. Yeah, exactly. I still feel bad about it though. Oh sure, but like the day that happened, it was sports day, and like news spread around the school like wildfire and. Like on the actual sports day when like everyone was out on the you know the the football field, I just got chased by like a good thirty people um, shouting like, "Are you gay? Are you gay? Are you gay? Did you kiss him? Did you kiss him?" And I just like you know 
was mortified and broke down. Um, and you know, you know, that was within the first four months of starting at a new school where I didn't right. know anyone. Um, right. and you know, kids being kids, it was the beginning of a really, really rough period, uh, for me, um, to put it lightly. So to then like know that about myself and to be so in the closet and in my own head, like I did, I don't think I even like accepted it until I was 19. So then like see someone singing lines like I let the beast in. I don't know how to live without my hand on its throat. Free yourself fast as you can. And like, sometimes my mind don't shake and shift, but most of the time it does. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, cool. Here's someone that's like, you know, been through some shit and are able to just like very aggressively, angrily put it into music. I think that was the point at which I just like totally fell for Fiona Apple. The amount of like wordplay and like, show-offiness in her music really appeals to me. Oh, yeah. She's unapologetic about how intelligent she is. <laughs> yes. And I think that was also part of it as well. Like, this was a song where, like, she crams about a hundred words into a single line of dialogue that takes her, like, two seconds to spit. And, like, to me, I was I, I like words. I'm a wordy kid. I was like, oh, you're not just saying, like, oh, I love you, baby, like, four times on a chorus, like, over and over again. You are just, like, ripping into, like, a dictionary and just saying as much as you can because yeah. you only have so much breath in the world left and you're, you're going to use it. But also, like, it was a weird choice for me because, like, liking this music was not what my friends liked. Yeah. When I say friends, I mean, like, grade a frenemies i didn't really have i mean i had friends but like they were always like at an arm's for, uh, length away um for a lot of the time um well i mean you, you you had a good reason to keep people at an arm's length from that early sort of traumatic sort of set you know yeah and so like i tried really hard like i liked limp biscuit i liked <laughs> uh stereophonics um i liked a but at the same time, I was like, oh, have you heard of this new band, The Spice Girls? And they'd look at me like I had two heads. Um, and then, you know, oh, like there's there's Fiona Apple. And also, like, isn't it crazy that Fiona Apple overlapped with The Spice Girls? Like, that they, they mm-hmm. existed at the same time. But I'd, I'd want to, like, share stuff that was bringing me, like, proper, like, joy. And they were, like, all about Nine Inch Nails. And I was like, you're not going to get it. And even, like, later on, like, a good... Uh, six years later in our school um, we had a kind of common room where you could just put on music and it was always like a continual battle for who got to put their music on and one day I was able to put on like Ben Folds 5 and someone said you're not meant to like jazz until you're 25 or something <laughs> um, and I was like okay cool never mind then <laughs> there's so much there they think Ben Folds is jazz yes. they think 25 is old yes <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. That'll be another thing I just put in this box. I never show anyone. A lot of my teen years were spent in that headspace of of the song Fast As You Can, um, which I think is all about like telling someone, like, I am grade A broken. Like, you do not what you you do not know what you're getting into if you start loving me. Yeah. And in retrospect, that was me to me. Like, I was, like, gradually coming to the realization that, you know, well, actually, no, I'm going to retcon that. I'm not broken. But, like, definitely everyone around me was like, you know, you are. And a lot of me was going like, oh, that must be true. So many people are saying it. 
lines like, if you catch me trying to find my way into your heart from under your skin fast as you can, scratch me out, free yourself. To a closeted gay kid whose interests in music and culture were kind of so wildly diverted from like anything that he could have with anyone else like it to think that there was something in you that you could claw out and get rid of was so tempting obviously again this is like a willful misreading of this song um because that's not the point the point is like you know accept the crazy uh you know you get there off of the smooth and also like as you know apple's albums progress like there's a definite sort of acceptance that you know she's not crazy She's just like, she's got a lot of feelings and she wants to express them all. I mean, the follow-up to this is Extraordinary Machine, which yeah. is such a lovely, like, pivot. Like, you know, whatever whatever you feed to me, I'll make something awesome out of it because I'm yes. an Extraordinary Machine. Um, like, which, I mean, I could, to be fair, I could probably have done with that a good 10 years earlier. But the thing is, that, like, this song really appeals to people who are in or who were in, I don't know, I'm speaking historically i don't know what kids are like now but like, <laughs> Who does? like i loved i loved this song when it came out and i know other people of my cohort i think you're a few years younger than me but of your cohort too people who were of the right age when it was circulating who found something in it similar to what you've been describing the lyric that i always jump to is um my pretty mouthful frame the phrases that uh, will disprove your faith in man yes because I was a very good kid and I was very obedient and I I was, you know, a good student and followed all the rules and beloved of grandmas yes, everywhere. Same. And I was like, there's a simple truth that I could say <laughs> that would burn this all to the ground. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And you're just walking around with that atom bomb inside of you. <laughs> like Yeah, and like I'll be your girl if you say it's a gift. And it's kind of like, I want you to love me, but I want you to like be like reciprocal to say like, oh, thanks. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, that's not how love works. That's that's not how it should work. But there's a part of you that's like, you know, if I put enough wrapping on this, if the gift is like chintzy and and neat enough and like all the edges are tapped down right with sellotape, then you're going like, oh, thank you. Um, and that's not how that, it goes. That comes in the bridge where the song has calmed down a little bit and is a little bit less manic and frantic. Like, yeah, but also... It's trying, it's trying to smooth its edges. <laughs> but also that's when it gets the closest to that kind of male-gazy kind of, I'll perform for you. Um, mm -hmm. Even if I don't want to, you looking at me will make me perform for you. Um, and it, that kind of like tip from like, you know, scary jazz to kind of like romantic kind of dream song is a bit disturbing actually because like you've already gone through two verses of like grade a anger uh and then it's this like oh but i can tamp that down i can be soft and smooth for you <laughs> and you're kind of like oh no i'm not sure i want that that's just like another level of crazy yeah as a troubled teen oh she she really got me good like a lot of her music is a way that i I return to it a lot when I need some way to process something that I'm not quite sure of yet. Um, I think because like so much of her music, so much, so many of her lyrics kind of occupy kind of this duality of like recognizing I can be literally anything from one second to the next. And I have to be okay with that. 
um, mm-hmm. there's a song on Idler Wheel, it's the, the opening one, and um, she sings, I just want to feel everything. And it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't you? But you kind of have to like filter out what you're feeling until you can tell like, oh, this is appropriate and this isn't. Um, I've got a friend that really doesn't like her um, music at all. And he says that uh, it sounds like she's trying to sing every note at once. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of just like, yes, exactly. So you get it. You just don't like it. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I like. That attempt to try and like fill each song with like as much as possible, whether it clashes or whether it sounds pitch perfect. Proper genius. Uh-huh. I, I, I won't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to move on to our next song? Yeah, why not? All right. What do we have? So my next song is... Transatlanticism by Death Cab for QC. Which um, I'm not proud of. Oh, why is that? I can't listen to Death Cab for Cutie anymore. <laughs> I mean, I have spun previous songs at Talking Heads and Fiona Apple into stories, but this one legit has a story attached to it. So while I was going through like my uh, troubled teens with uh, most of my school out to get me um, or not wanting to know me, I did find friendship online. Yeah. And this was back when like, you know, making friends online was still weird. Um, Mm -hmm. when, you know, literally everyone that you met online was a serial killer, just waiting to get all of your address and show up on your door. Um, but there was a message board and it was all, um, to do with what was, you know, kind of a middle point between like edgelord humor and toilet jokes, which, you know, as a teen, I was quite into, uh, one of the friendships I made, um, was with, uh, person over there i'm gonna change her name let's call her joanne okay uh we spent so much time talking to each other and she wasn't having a great home life either um and this went on for like a good five years six years um of just like telling each other everything that we couldn't tell anyone around us um although i didn't tell uh joanne that i was maybe gay because in my head, there was also a certain element of like expectation of like, oh, you know, we're so close and I'm a boy and you're a girl. And there's sort of like an inevitability about that. Um, there were there were definitely like, I don't want to call it romantic, but maybe toxic. Let's call it toxic. There were toxic expectations there. Um, but I think they were for a while uh, reciprocate. And then I went to, I left home to go to university um, and with going to university came a student loan, which I deeply regret. But with a student loan came enough funds to buy a ticket to New York to go see Joanne. Oh, wow. Which I did. And it was a week-long Kirby Enthusiasm episode where, like, <laughs> everything that could go wrong went wrong in the most toe-curlingly atrocious manner. And over the course of a week, we just conspired to completely destroy the friendship that we had built over five years online. I'm sorry. It's fine. Uh, I'm fine now. And and also, like, it was, I, I think, like, 
it was both of us. Like we both mm. kind of were not ready for that level of like weirdness. Looking back, we both behaved in deeply unpleasant ways. I mean, you're you're eighteen. I was eighteen, uh, I, and um, Joanne was twenty-one. So there was this weird thing of like, you know, if you want to go out and have parties, because in the US, like twenty-one is the drinking age, twenty-one is the party age. And I was there, like, hi, I'm an eighteen-year-old, I can't do shit. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I definitely, from her point of view, I'm sure it was a bit regressive. Um, yeah. Like I'd slip back into like an era she had left behind because like at that time at that time like you know the difference between an eighteen year old and a twenty one year old like is massive the amount of life experience you get in that period is huge um, so I'm sure from her point of view it probably felt a bit like babysitting um, but anyway the day after we went to her boyfriend's parents' house for Easter dinner which was supremely awkward. She, I think, made up a lie that she had to go into work and left me um, roaming the streets of New York uh, on Easter Monday when literally everything was shut um, in the pouring rain. And the only place that was open was HMV. I went in and I was just rifling through the uh, CD looking for a cover that looked good, that looked like... Yeah. You know, and I'd seen, I think, Death Cafe QE once at a festival, um, and they hadn't really, like, I went along uh, curious to see why someone called Death Cab for Cutie was the first billing on a Sunday. They, you know, I was like, wow, that's going in hard and heavy. And then it turned out they are just, you know, sad, whiny boys. Good, you know, good Sunday morning music. So, but I saw that name, I, I, and it was called Transatlanticism. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll get this. It seems appropriate. Here I am on the other side of the Atlantic. And then it turned out it was just like, an entire album about the breakdown of a transatlantic relationship. Again, it, it was an album where like I could pin something from that week to every single song, which like was probably a, a bad idea. It was probably traumatic. I like bawled my eyes out listening to it on repeat on the flight home. It sounds like a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. That album, I think maybe if I had to like, put a pin in like a point in my life where I was like, you need to stop lying to yourself. You need to stop misreading signs and signals and songs. Uh, that might have been at that flight home where I knew that like this friendship that was online that kind of like exists in this like, Oh, what if uh, kind of world where like, what if I could have this sort of relationship with a woman and it was only able to like survive because it was online. There was like an entire ocean between us. And then I closed that gap um, and then realized, oh, wow, this story that I was telling myself has so many plot holes. Um, and here I have the soundtrack to the movie where all those plot holes swallow me up. Flying home, I just like was very distraught. Um, and I think like that's the point at which I was like, you need to start figuring out a few things about yourself. Um, again, that's only in retrospect. I don't think at the time it really clicked that clearly. But right. when I was telling my friends about it, when I got back, my uh, friends that I made at university, they all said, like, that sounds like hell. That sounds like a really horrible week. And I was like, no, 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 it was great. It was fine. It was, there was, you know, it was, it was, it was a good time. And then, like, you know, when three months have gone by and I hadn't got a single email from her, I was like, oh, okay time to stop lying this this was a bad scenario and you reacted poorly to it 
And this is a pattern that you have um, where you just pretend that everything's fine and everything is not fine. And this song, I mean, the song from Transatlanticism that is called Transatlanticism, it's got a lot of like metaphors about how the ocean was made and, you know, the the distance that comes between people. Um, but the, the line it closes on is, I need you so much closer. And again, like I'm now able to look back at the song and go like, this is me to me. Mm-hmm. I need me so much closer. I need to like close the gap between the two versions of myself that I've got going, the one that I'm projecting to the world and the one that actually has not had a chance to breathe at all. Um, so I think like that, that's kind of where that song exists in this story. I'm thinking about online friends because I had a very, very similar, once again, <laughs> I feel a great, I feel a great resonance with your stories. Um, I similarly made friends online because the people who were around me when I was a teenager were not giving me what I needed. And uh, I've sort of continued uh, in some ways. I still have a number of people who are like online friendships because it's because of the way that we've sort of built the internet. You can find kindred spirits all around the world. But for that to happen, you need to sort of be honest about who you are and everything. And when I was a teenager, I think it was more just desperate for someone who understood the basic shapes of my life without sort of delving deeper into the details, I guess, which sounds like that's what that was for you. It seems like what and what you were describing, that relationship could thrive when it was on the internet because it remained potential. It remained somewhat hypothetical. And when you sort of show up in the flesh, all those hypotheticals collapse into what it really is. And that is often going to be disappointing. Um, I feel very sad for you flying home. That sounds brutal. <laughs> I mean, uh, I listened back to the whole album uh, in preparation for this, and I I don't feel sad for that version of me anymore. I kind of more want to like reach through time and just like sit next to him on the plane and just go like, it's going to get better. You do not believe me. I know you don't. Like, this is hell, but it is going to get better. And that's only something you can say in retrospect, because at, at the time, it doesn't feel like it is. And also, it was going to get worse before it got better as well. So, you know, for a few years, uh, I would have, you know, been thinking back in that future version of me that showed up on an airplane and be just like, you liar, you, <laughs> you absolute arsehole. I don't, I, I, I know that when I tell the story, uh, especially the long version with all the scenarios where it just got worse and worse and worse, it is a sad story, but I don't feel sad about it anymore. I think like for me, it's definitely like a, it is like a Curb Your Enthusiasm story where I tell it and it's funny because I'm telling it from the outside. Tragedy plus time, you know, that's the formula, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like, it's a sad story, but it's also like, what was I expecting? Even my gran, uh, when I came back from the trip, uh, said to my dad in private, like, so is he going out with her then? Like, are, are they married? And my dad was like, No. And my grand's immediate response was, so is he a poof? I was like, she knew. Like, she knew. Um, Well before, like, uh, anyone else did, apart from myself. But, like, she knew that, like, something was up. You do not fly across an ocean to meet a woman who then, like, you don't get it on with unless there's something very, very big in the way. Um, Right. So, yeah. 
that I think is like the punchline to that story is like everyone knew apart from me. <laughs> right. Right. Having your illusions destroyed and sort of having your face ground into the reality of what you are is always going to be painful, but it's necessary and good. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if anything, because like after you've had your face ground into the dirt of, of disillusionment, you get to get back up and like remake it the way you want it to be. Like yeah. you get to cover up the scars however you want. Um, and I think like that was the beginning of like my 20s where like I was trying to figure out how to do that. Which definitely, I think, leads into the next song. Right. Well, what do we have next? Owen Pallet, He Poos Clouds. always makes me giggle <laughs> i think like partly that's why i like it is because it's just like it's such a serious song and then you've got like mm -hmm. he poos clouds like i said like as a teenager i was into edgelord humor and potty humor and like here we have a, a song called he poos clouds um so it tickles something in me uh owen pallet i think occupies an an equal place in my heart to fiona apple oh wow in in the I, I think he is a genius. Um, and uh, I think at every every step of his musical journey, oh, I don't like that word. Um, <laughs> everything he's put out has has like resonated with me on such a deep level. Um, I, I cannot uh, cheer him on loud enough. I love Owen Ballad with the same sort of like, fanatical fervor that i love fiona apple um i like if they if they did a duet together i would spontaneously combust with joy <laughs> like i hope it happens someday um I, it nearly happened when fiona apple did a, a, a duet with um andrew bird mm -hmm. but I, which was a fantastic song but if if they just if owen and fiona just got together it would be yeah. so good anyway he poos clouds um, as far as I can tell, it's a song about being in love with the video game characters, but you tell me. That's a, that's essentially it, yeah, um, which uh, like has obvious parallels to being in love with an online persona that when you meet them is not true. So he, uh, Owen Pallet um, is uh, a virtuoso on the violin, and he was the one that arranged all the strings for um, Arcade Fire's uh, first album, Funeral. Um, which is uh, when I first kind of uh, saw him play solo um, when uh, Arcade Fire played in Glasgow and I went to see them and he was supporting um, and he builds up these songs with uh, loop pedals um, yeah. or at least that's what he did when he was starting out um, and I remember like being late to the gig and running up the, the stairs to the um, uh, venue and hearing like what sounded like a good dozen violinists and then just like getting into the room and there just being this one person on stage making like the sound of a, an entire orchestra um and i was instantly bewitched i guess like the idea that one person could be so many different things all at once again is turning out to be a theme here but you know that could take that and make it into music was was 
like I said, instantly bewitching. And then, like, as his albums came out, they got progressively weirder and, and unusual. Like, uh, the album that he poos clouds is off is sort of like a concept album that mixes up uh, kind of computer gaming, uh, D&D magic types, and um, horoscopes. What are they, what are they called? Um, oh, zodiac signs? Zodiac signs. Uh, kind of takes all these things from, from these different kind of um, esoteric geeky subjects and just mixes them into like one album and then the one after that heartland is a uh concept album about a hyper violent farmer in a fictional uh 14th century country who falls in love with the god of that world who is called all palette um <laughs> and then after becoming disillusioned about what that relationship actually is uh becomes a renegade and rushes up the mountain that this god lives on to kill him. So is killing Owen Pallet. And then the, his most recent one in conflict is uh back to basics. It's just like songs about life. And it it was all about uh the coming to accept uh the the ups and downs, which is a very basic way of putting it. But he he uh all his albums are just like little microcosms of of really intense feelings. Um and they're also like for me, um, he was the first uh, musician I really knew that was open in his music about being gay. Mm -hmm. And then in conflict, his most recent album, uh, as far as I know, it's the first time I've ever heard like the pronoun "zay" hmm. used in a song. It's it's the first word on the album as well. Um, so there's there's definitely like an element of like queer adventurism in all the records as well this this idea that he's pushing through to like new ideas and kind of like keeping abreast and wrapping them into his music as well but this one song he poos clouds is definitely a lot darker than all of that <laughs> and it it's kind of where i was for the majority of my 20s and trying to like figure out what love might look for me considering I'd not got anywhere close to figuring that out in my teens. Um, which I think is like an un like a relative it, in queer communities, people know that feeling of being behind where you're meant to be in life in terms of figuring yeah. stuff out. But I think in terms of conveying that to people who don't experience it, it's really hard because, you know, oh, but you know, you you had crushes on girls when you were a teen. It's like, yes but they were very forced or I didn't, yes. or like I didn't really realize that the pedestal I was putting them on was completely different to the, the kind of pedestal that, for example, death guy for cutie might put you know, women on. They're like that pedestal for the, the entitled kind of male singer songwriter cliche tends to be like, Oh, you're so pretty. And you're so, you're so perfect. Why don't you love me? Um, for for me it was like you're so pretty you're so perfect why don't i love you um yeah. like and just not having an answer to that um so basically coming out from the exact opposite perspective and, and not knowing what it is in you that you haven't figured out really does like set you back quite a bit i think mm -hmm. and so 20s yeah. oh go ahead no 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 i was just i was just going to say and you know you don't get you don't get to have the learning experiences um you know, if you think of your teens as like a sandbox mm. level for mm -hmm. like 
relationships. <laughs> you don't get to do that. No, you know? no. Or you, or you do it in the way that you're describing. I'm just thinking about, you know, when I was in the seventh grade, I, I got a crush on a girl and it was because I didn't want to be gay. And I figured if she would be my girlfriend, that would fix that. Yes. <laughs> and she wouldn't. So <laughs> I just wanted to instrumentalize her. It was terrible. Yeah. Like, um, and so I, and I think like, you don't, you also don't learn from those experiences because like no. that behavior, if you learn from it, because uh, you apply that to an object of genuine affection and they turn mm-hmm. around and go like, no, thanks. This is gross. You learn from that. But if, yeah. if it's a fake scenario that you've concocted in order to get something from it, you don't learn from it because they're not denying you what you want. If anything, they're giving you what you want. They're saying like, no, you can't have me. You can continue to pine over me and have this potential thing go on, mm-hmm. but you never get to actually like figure out why I'm saying no, because yep. you don't want to know. So like in your twenties, I think if you're queer and you're, you're figuring all this stuff out for the first time, you kind of go through all these like teenage immature approaches to relationships that I think, uh, he poos clouds, despite being a completely daft song name really gets to the core of really fast. It's about being in love with people that can't love you back. Um, because that's just not how they are. And I, I, I was a total cliche for the first half of my my twenties. I could not stop falling in love with straight men or uh, men that were taken or men mm-hmm. that were bad news. Like I was. Do you think? Go ahead. I was not looking for like anything healthy in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know. I didn't know what healthy looked like. I think um, yeah. in terms of relationship. I was going to ask. Do you think? that you formed these crushes on these unattainable men who are straight or in relationships because I mean, because I did that. And I think I did that because I wouldn't have to go through with it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this song is about being in love with fictional characters. Um, mm-hmm. the, the lyric, like, um, the only boys I've ever been in love with have been on a page or on a screen. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, the idea, like, I move them with my thumbs. There's, like, an element of control as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, um, he needs my guidance. He needs my time. And it's kind of like, it's almost like thinking of yourself as a gift to this person, but only if you get to control how they use it. Um, and there's just so many, like, instances in this one song of kind of, like, shifting power dynamics that it's just super toxic, but only because, like, there's an element of, like, I've never known anything else. And then it gets to the um, the end of it, and Owen's voice in in the the final verse just like kills me every time um, because the ob- this fictional object turns around and talks back, which is something that you know up until this point they didn't do, and and he says maybe I'm not going to love you because I have my own life. Like I gotta fulfill the seven prophecies. I gotta be a friend of grandmother. I gotta like do all these side quests. I've gotta go find and kill my shadow self. And the last line is just such a killer. You may have been made for love, but I'm just mid. Depend again, depending on my mood. Sometimes I was the one made for love, and other times I was the one that was just mid that didn't have it in me. I would just like have been spat out into existence, but was a character um yeah. and so like 
was both unlovable but not able to love as well um which is i like that comes from like a good 20 years of denial and a good like 10 years of bullying that's what it yeah. drives into you that kind of belief that you're not worth it and even if you were worth it you wouldn't know how to use it for my 20s i think like owen palette has been holding my hand the whole way um but this song in particular was the one which he grabbed and was just like i'm not letting go i know what you're, what you're talking about and i'm pulling you along um yeah and so genuinely i think i probably owe owen palette a small degree of my sanity in my life um that is the effect that his music has had on me absolutely he got me through my 20s yeah. and periods where like i wasn't looking after myself um because i could always come back from those periods of like just like blowing up different parts of my life and be just like oh okay this is the way forward or even if it's not it's a way forward yeah and that's i think why he occupies that same space to fiona apple is because they do the same thing, I think, as each other. Um, it's just one I found a good 10 years before the other. I'm thinking about how Owen Pallett's music is very different from Fiona Apple's in one sense, in that I always think of Fiona Apple as being very raw. And I think of Owen Pallett as being very structured, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also like super high drama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's no blood in there, but it's like he, he builds these very intricate structures. Mm. Um, and mm -hmm. it's very controlled. Uh, there's a song on uh, In Conflict that's all about losing control. And it, the, the orchestration of that is brilliant because like, it builds and it builds and it builds and it never lets go. Um, yeah. And you're, you're waiting for it. And it never does. Uh, it's called uh, The Sky Behind the Flag. It's a, the first time I listened to it, I was infuriated because I was like, give me the, give me the outburst. And it just never came. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's not, that's not usually a, a response that you have to songs. Um, mm -hmm. that, I mean, I've had that response to like books or to movies where like the, the credits roll or the last page like flips and you're kind of just like, no, where's the rest of it? Um, <laughs> and there's like joy in that as well because you realize you've been tricked. Um, uh, Owen Pallet, I think like, teases you a lot he's like he, he's he, he's edging like all the way through. do you think owen pallet is into bdsm i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> this is what you're putting me in mind of here i would not be surprised he's being a little bit sadistic oh absolutely <laughs> but also like you know there's there's a, there is like a like large degree of sexuality in in owen pallet's music as well but i the only other artist or, or band that I can think of that really infuses their music with queer sexuality is the Scissor Sisters. Yeah. Um, to the same degree that Owen Pallet does, they do it in a much like louder, camper, like aggressive, like style. Like they fuck. Whereas like, you know, Owen Pallet probably makes love. Um, mm. Like Owen Pallet definitely has like the, the kind of angle of like the, the squishy feelings of, of um, queer desire kind of baked mm -hmm. into his music. I think because it's chamber pop, it's violins, it's it's very sweet sounding, but it can on a dime just spin very sour as well. Um, yeah. And there's that kind of element of 
trying to like figure out the rules when you've never been told what the rules are and how that opens up so many avenues for like breaking rules you didn't know existed. I think there's a definite urge to do that from people who've been told you need to behave a certain way in order to be accepted because you can do that and you will sail through life fine, but there'll always be something in you going like, fuck this. I want to make a mistake. Definitely maybe in like he Pooh's clouds, he does it not in the music, but in the, the lyrics, he, like he sings about falling for someone unattainable. He knows is unobtainable. Yes. But does it willingly. I want to ask if Owen Palette has influenced your own creative practice. I'm sure the answer is yes. Ooh. Um, he will now. <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, my own my own creative practice, uh, the stuff I write tends to be, um, I guess, yeah, kind of un, unfulfilled. Um, there's definitely a, I do like writing stories that have kind of uh, an uneasy, unfinished feel to them. Um, mm -hmm. And for a while, that's just because I didn't know how to write an ending. Um, <laughs> but I figured out how to write an ending and I find them really boring. So I now like to like round off kind of weird uh, speculative fiction stories um, intentionally with a certain degree of unfinished business and also definitely like leaning heavily into kind of putting queerness front and center, but without doing so in such a way that it says something like specifically grand about what it is to be queer, but more sort of just like uh, small and nuanced elements of like, this is what it's like for me to be queer. If that resonates with you, fantastic. If not, no biggie. Well, that sounds similar to what you've been describing so far. I guess so, but I don't know if that. I don't know if uh, it's a chicken and the egg. Does Owen Palette <laughs> appeal to me because that's kind of how I've kind of come around to my own creative practice, or have I just cribbed that from Owen Palette straight out? Right. Who knows? It, it, maybe it's a little of both. <laughs> you had these tendencies, and now they're being reinforced. Yes. <laughs> like the best toxic behaviors. <laughs> do you feel ready to move to the last uh, one yeah toxic behaviors it is a nice move on to the next one uh, lovely tune yards business from a distance yeah don't take my life away don't take my life away I'm a victim yeah don't take my life away don't take my life away I'm a victim yeah don't take my life away don't take my life away Before you start, I want to tell you a really quick story. I saw Tune Yards about a year and a bit ago, and she was fantastic live. And uh, I think this was near the end of the show. It might have been the encore. She she also uses pedals to loop things the way that Owen Pallet does, as you've described. And she started making these little vocal hoots and yelps, and she started looping them. And at first, it wasn't clear what was happening. But as the loops started to build, you realized it was the hook at the start of business. Uh -huh. And as soon as it becomes recognizable, this woman from across the um, theater just goes, she's so good. <laughs> this, it was so genuine. Everyone heard it. So Tune Yards, every time Tune Yards comes up, I hear this woman in this throaty growl exclaim, she's so good. I, do you want, something similar happened when I saw them a few years back as well, in the, uh, when it became clear what it was, um, mm -hmm. someone in the crowd whooped, but uh, she wasn't <laughs> finished like looping it yet and so when it came back around to loop the next part the woman whooped again 
because she knew that the process needed kind of like a doubling up of vocals yep. to kind of a, get the the right feel for it um and then um and then knew that you know in order to like not have to do the whole thing from the start again um she would have to whoop again yeah which i really liked it's kind of like you know collaborative live song making because you accidentally got super excited about song and i mean honestly like that that excite like that excitement is what i felt when i first heard business it was for me a false epiphany um I'll, okay and I'll, I'll kind of explain that so at the tail end of my 20 i'm 32 now going to be 33 uh, in may um but at the tail end of my 20s i had just started realizing like I had not been kind of on top of my shit for a while. Uh, a few of my friends had, had said, like, you approach friendships like relationships. You kind of, like, expect too much of them, and you there's a certain amount of entitlement to them. And fair play to them. They were completely right. And, you know, kind of, like, a few different times kind of setting me down, going, like, what the hell? Like, it's fine up until a point, and then what the hell? So I decided that, I, you know, I should probably try and get some help. Again, all this comes from like denial and and bullying and and being forced to like hide parts of yourself. Sometimes you just go like open up that box and let it all fall out and kind of root through all the bits you've been hiding to try and find out which bits you want to keep, and which bits are just like jank. And so I went and got counselling, um, or to be more precise, I got one session of counselling where I bawled my eyes out for a good hour and didn't say anything cohesive. And then the next day I heard business called up my uh, counselor and was just like, I'm fine. I'm cured. I'm great. (laughs) I've heard this one song on on, uh, the the radio that has cured me. I feel fantastic. I'm not going to be in next month. See ya. And you were right. I was, hmm, was I? I don't think think you were. (laughs) And I honestly, it took another five years before I could uh, get around to actually going for more counseling and kind of like talking out a whole bunch of stuff, um, which was very much needed. Um, but at the time, I was like, solved. Uh, I can I can enjoy therapy through music. And again, like, oh boy, did I misread this song. Um, mm-hmm. Just a huge flashback to like my dad completely misunderstanding the point of Once in a Lifetime. Chunyard's uh, Business is a song uh, about a lover's tiff, basically, um, where uh, Meryl Garbus is kind of singing to her her partner, saying, here's my damage, and I know that my damage has hurt you, but if you can remove that part of of the the hurt, then maybe Mm -hmm. there's a future for us. Like, the first line is, if I represent the one that did this to you, then cut away the part that represents the thing that scarred you which is very twisty um and like at the time i was like oh yeah like do away with damage but like in the context of the song it's like i know i'm damaged but ignore it please like ignore the hurt it causes you um let's just like work really hard to make this work and then the the chorus is you know what's the business don't take my life away uh from a distance don't take my life away i'm a victim don't take my life away i'm addicted don't take my life away and there's there's just this like solid refusal to change baked into this song. Struggling is is built into the life, and like you know, keeping things at a distance is built into the life, and even like seeing yourself as a victim and using that as an excuse for you know behavior that scars people is 
is like almost an addictive behavior and you don't want it to be taken away. And I heard this, I was like, that's me. I'm like, I'm solved. I'm cured. This is perfect. Cause it's just such a joyful song. Um, mm-hmm. that I think I only heard the music and, and could see in my head, the choreographed dance I would do to it. If like, I got all my friends together to kind of do what I did as a kid where I could like manipulate them and kind of tell them, this is what we're doing today. So I heard this and had this false epiphany of joy. And I was like, I can't be this happy if I'm this sad. I'm ready to face the world. And it was not the truth. Um, And I think it took a long time for me to like come back to looking at this song as, again, another song about me to me, as opposed to like a lover's tiff. You know, I did behaviors that hurt myself. Um, We all do. We have self-destructive behaviors and we need to get a hold on them if we want to like get to the life that we actually don't want to be taken away. Approaching those behaviors and through kind of like finding ther- therapy in song um, has for me been a huge part of like getting better and kind of overcoming depressive uh, episodes and anxiety. Just um, being able to find in, you know, on palette or uh fiona apple people who have been through stuff and can just like put it in the music in a way that feels like intensely personal and you know like it's intensely personal for everyone listening to it as well at the end of this song at the end of business i didn't realize that you know this person that she's singing to saying like let me be this damaged thing turns around and goes no no thanks and i didn't get like that line when i first heard it and i just wrote it off I was like, I don't get it. I don't care. Which, again, is like behavior. It's it's a thought process that really does tie into like a lot of denial. Like, you know, I don't understand this. Ergo, I will not examine it any closer. And it took, again, it took ages to come to the realization that maybe some things that you don't want to understand deserve being explored. Yeah. And maybe your resistance to understanding them indicates that you need to yes exactly (laughs) i'm I'm just in my mind thinking about how this relates to fast as you can because both of them are the singer of the song saying i i am damaged i i hurt you i can't help it and fast as you can it's a warning like get away from me for your own good and here it's like please put up with me i i don't want to change change is hard and painful and i don't want to so please just put up with me. which i think if anything is is a bit worrying because um something resonated with me at 13 that it took me a good like 17 years to figure out what it was actually saying but also i think it's why fiona apple just occupies such a permanent space in my heart is because like she knew what was up right from the beginning so um but yeah um and also like i found just a kind of delve into more of Junyard's uh, uh, work. They yeah. are one of the few people I can think of that are currently addressing the thing that gives me the most anxiety and, and causes the most depression, which is climate change. Yeah, Their most recent album has, I think, at least three songs that are all kind of just like, holy shit! What do we, how do we live our lives when like, you know, the world is falling apart and it's because of how we live our lives? Like, how do we change when we don't want to? I think uh, the only other person I can think of that approaches uh, these topics in song with any degree of like uh, seriousness and fear and, and passion uh, is Ahoni. Yeah. Um, who like, I cannot listen to them on bad days. No, not at all. But Tuneyards does it in a way that like, has hope where Oni is just like, oh God, we've fucked it. Junyards has a certain amount of like 
we can get through this. Um, and again, it's like a certain amount of like um, balancing kind of like pessimism with a can-do attitude, which yeah. um, I think is, is super uh, relevant to kind of like confronting your own demons because like you're going to have to look at some shit, but you have to do so with the hope that eventually you'll figure a way through it. I agree. I'm just thinking about Tunyard's song "Water Fountain," oh, which is which fantastic. Is oh my god, fantastic! And and it is it is interfacing with those anxieties about, well, the world is falling to pieces, but it's also you can dance to it. Yeah, I have quite a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and there's that line like, um, "I saved up all my pennies and I gave them to the special guy. When he had enough of them, he bought himself a cherry pie. He gave me a dollar, a blood-soaked dollar. I cannot get the spot out, but it's okay." It still works in the store. <laughs> like, yeah, I love the way she delivers that yeah. too. Like, it, the music kind of breaks down, and she almost speaks that it's all right. It's still it's okay. It still works in the store. It comes out almost in this sort of slightly bratty tone, yeah. which I really like. Like bratty, but defeatist. Like, oh, for fuck's sake, do I have to do this? Fine, yeah. watch me spend this blood money. Um, yeah. Which, like, so perfectly sums up like so many people's like behavioral patterns in response to like this period we're in at the moment where like we know it's making us ill like mm -hmm. the political situation the ecological situation like all of it is like taking a toll on our mental health for sure but we're grinning and getting yeah. through it we're making bad uh bad jokes on twitter like <laughs> we know that people are genuinely suffering yeah but if there's no clear way to like behave right all the time fuck it i'm gonna make a mistake um yeah. until like you know a better option comes along i was gonna say there's a podcast i quite like called tea with alice it's hosted by alice fraser and she's a comedian from australia but she lives in the uk and um it's not a funny podcast <laughs> she generally has guests on and asks them what they've been struggling with lately but she herself trained as a lawyer and she worked as a corporate lawyer for a few years before quitting that because she found it too demoralizing and dehumanizing. And at one point she characterizes working in a large corporation as feeling like you are a cell in an organ and a serial killer. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Cause like you yourself are not wielding the knife, but you're contributing to this giant body that is, and like you, you feel both powerless and sort of, you know, at the same time, complicit. I can't think of that many people um, that I like anyway. I'm sure there are many musicians doing this, probably mm. um, in the world of, of rap and R&B, which is really outside my uh, my experience and taste as well. I've tried. I, it, it, I've yet to find something that really sticks with me, but I'm sure, like, the poets of the 21st century are dissecting this inside and out. Um, yeah. But in the music that I like and the music that, you know, I've conditioned myself to like, I guess um, very few people are singing about this or addressing this in any sort of real way. Um, and yeah. like hearing it spoken out loud um, is a comfort, even though it doesn't have any kind of like solutions. Um, hearing Meryl Garbus, like confessing that she's thinking about buying a portable generator for when the lights go out. Um, you're kind of just like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I've been building up a stockpile of canned food for Brexit. Um, and I feel yeah. atrocious about that because 
I don't want to be doing it. And I also know that it contributes to kind of like food shortages later down the line. But sometimes you just do what you do to survive and it doesn't feel good. And she's singing about that as well, which is super brave, I think. Um, it must be really weird. I haven't seen her uh, perform any of these songs live, but it must be really weird to perform these songs live because they're they're not songs that kind of like whip up the usual emotions that you kind of want from a live experience, which are like fun or happy or elated or kind of like even like sad songs have a certain amount of like, oh, you're making me feel so much emotion in this live moment. Here, it's kind of just like, are you prepared? <laughs> Let's get together and dread. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, you don't get that anywhere else apart from maybe like Greek theater, you know? Right. Trinyard's, for me, she was a false epiphany. And then like, as she went on, I was kind of like, and as I went on as well, I kind of realized like, oh, that, that was a false epiphany. There was another epiphany buried under that. And kind of just like, peeling back the layers um and finding what's underneath even though like it's been on show the whole time the layers are transparent but, like peeling back these transparent layers until there's nothing you have to like look through to see the truth i i think that's ultimately what i like respond to across the board um in everything i kind of like enjoy and so yeah i think like all these songs with the exclusion of transatlanticism which i no longer like i think uh encapsulate all of this whereas like transatlanticism it it was the crux of my my disillusionment where like i wasn't looking where i want i should have been looking i think which is why i can't listen to it anymore yes absolutely had to be there it's it's so pivotal to your stories you've told it to me so that's pretty awesome i mean that's the wrong word that was that was a brainless that was a brainless expression of like thank you very much for sharing with me you've given me a lot and it's been wonderful if people are interested in reading your work or, or contacting you, where might they look? Um, my website is ryanvance.co.uk and my Twitter handle is ryanjjvance. Um, the JJ stand for James Joseph because as the child of a mixed marriage, I could not just have one middle name of a grandparent. <laughs> I had to be politically split between two. So that's Ryan JJ Vance on Twitter. I've got links on my website um, to a few places that have my stories up, um, but a lot of my stories are actually in print. So um, I've also got links to where you can buy magazines and zines if you want to uh, get hold of that in paper and pulp and what's the uh, what's the anthology called again uh, the anthology is called we were always here a queer words anthology and uh, it can be got from 404 inc uh, the publisher thank you so much once again thank you it's been great yay many thanks to ryan for sharing his life and music with us this is your mixtape is a proud part of the megaphonic podcast network Check out all of our fancy little podcasts at megaphonic.fm. And if you're not sick of the sound of my voice, why not check out Dear Reader, which is my other podcast. I host it with one of my oldest friends, Emily, and every month we ask each other a fairly simple question, have you read anything interesting lately? For more information about this episode of This Is Your Mixtape, you can check out the show notes at megaphonic.fm slash mixtape slash 32. Good God. My name is Michael Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at Earl King, while this show is on Twitter at This Is Your Mix. You can also email the show at mixtape at megaphonic.fm. 
And if you want to support this podcast, there are two easy and free things that you can do. You can tell your friends about it, and you can leave a review on iTunes. I do check those reviews every few weeks, and new ones always make me do a goofy little dance. That is not a joke. I hope you've enjoyed today's mix. We'll see you next time.